0: All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Glass Less Travel Livecast. live cast. My name is Mike Verivi. I'm a certified bourbon steward and founder of the Fox Valley Whiskey Society. We're going to explore and introduce you to America's craft distilleries, microbreweries, industry insiders, and professional imbibers to give you the inside scoop on the things you need to be drinking. Uh, guys, don't forget to hit like and subscribe down below. If you guys like what we're doing, you can also follow us uh, and help support us on patreon.com slash the traveled. Uh, we are back tonight with our good friend whiskey reviewer, writer, and blogger Jeff Schwartz, aka Whiskey Fellow. Jeff, Cheers. hello, good evening. Uh, and we've also got our resident Scotch know-it-all, Dan Gryson, <laughs> with us uh, there in the middle. Um, we're going to be doing a live tasting tonight of a beautiful, unpeated Scotch. Uh, I'm not going to say the name yet. We'll we'll say it <laughs> we'll say it later. Um, but this is the bottle right here, the Classic Laddie. Um, so guys, let's start with a, uh, with a little bit of some, uh, some history, uh, on, on the distillery, but first, Jeff, why don't you start with, with how you pronounce it?
1: Uh, the way that I've always heard it pronounced is Baruch laddie
0: Dan, you? Uh, Baruch laddie <laughs> So I've, <laughs> I read Baruch laddie Baruch Laddy. So it's close. We're all kind of in the same... We're all kind of in the same ballpark. We're
1: all the same from the same neighborhood in Scotland. <laughs> right. uh,
0: Jeff, what uh, what can you tell us that you know about uh, uh Distillery?
1: Okay, well, the first thing that I want to explain is it's one of nine distilleries on Isla. and if you're going to pronounce it Islay or Islay or whatever, that's not the correct way to do it. So if you want to be in the know i la is the best way to pronounce that and not cause any offense um this distillery was established in 19 in 1881 and ran pretty much changed hands a bunch of times but uh was shuttered in 1994 and then reopened in 2000 and this is a uh carrier-specific uh, distillery. They like to do a lot of experimentation. Um, the distillery has three product lines. Uh, the first is uh, Brocolati, which is their unpeated line. That's what we're gonna be drinking tonight. Um, they have a Port Charlotte line, which is lightly peated. And then they have the Big Bad Octomore series, which uh, likes to compete with uh, Arbeg and some of the other uh, Isla distilleries to be the biggest, baddest, peated monsters that you'll ever come across. So um, that's my little brief history about them. Uh, what do you got on that?
0: So I, uh, you guys, you guys know that that watch that watch this. I. I spent a long time kind of doing some, doing research. Um, Scotch is really not my thing. It's not my, it's not my forte. That's why we have Dan here. Dan knows more about Scotch than I do. Um, And uh, uh, hopefully he can, he can chime in at least on some of the, some of the tasting notes. Um, So the, the distillery itself was, uh, like you said, it was built in 1881 by the Harvey brothers, uh, William, John, and Robert. Um, The Harveys were a dynastic whiskey family that had owned two other distilleries since the 1770s. Using an inheritance, the three brothers combined their talents to build a third distillery, uh, which we call Baruch Baruch Lattic, or Baruch Lattie, which was designed by John, engineered by Robert, and then financed by William and other family members. Uh, At the time, the distillery was a state-of-the-art design, unlike Isla's older distilleries, which had developed from old farm buildings. Uh, Baruch Lattic was built from stone by the sea and has a very efficient layout built around a large, spacious courtyard. Can you tell I'm getting any of this from Wikipedia? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, and and like you said, it, this is a, this is an Isla this is an Isla Scotch, um, but not one that you would typically find from from Isla. In that it's not that like chewing on like a campfire. Almost, mm-hmm. you know, this one is, is a lot, a lot softer, a lot milder, much fruitier, much more floral. Um, let's see the, uh, the, oh, let's move up here. Uh, uniquely tall and narrow neck stills were chosen to produce a very pure and original spirit. The opposite of the styles produced by the older form of distilleries. Uh, Bruc-Lotti was run by William Harvey after an argument with his brothers before the distillery was even completed until a fire in 1934 and William's death in 1936, Uh, Over the next 40 years, it subsequently changed owners several times and as a result uh, of corporate takeovers, the industry narrowly avoiding closure until 1994 when it was shut down uh, as being, and I quote, surplus to requirements. So apparently Scotland already had enough scotch and they said, we don't need any more, which is never something that a Scotsman wants to hear. Uh, The distillery was unpurchased by a group of private investors in December of 2000. Jim McEwen, who worked at Beaumont Distillery since the age of 15, was hired as master distiller and production director. Between January and May of 2001, the whole distillery was dismantled and reassembled with the original Victorian decor and uh, equipment retained. Having escaped modernization, uh, most of the original Harvey machinery is still in use today. No computers are used in the production. uh, The entire process is controlled by a pool of skilled artisans who pass on information orally and largely measure progress using dipsticks and simple flotation devices. So there's really no technology used at this distillery at all. This is, I mean, obviously there's computers and stuff that are used in the, sure in the office buildings, but in the actual distillery, uh, this is about as old uh, and, and uh, rugged as it gets, which is very interesting, especially in, in modern day. Well, when Uh, you
1: think about it, you know, you've got a, Somebody wants to say craft and, and, you know, handmade, you don't get any closer to that than this.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And this was, I mean, to, to see pictures and, and we can, we can post some to the, to the Facebook page, but just to Google some of the pictures of, of this place is, is absolutely beautiful. Um, all like you had mentioned, uh, Jeff, a little bit ago. Uh, all the distilleries' whiskies are sold as single malts. With those being designated, Brugladdy being unpeated, uh, they designate Port Charlotte as being heavily peated, and those designated Octomore being super heavily peated. And Octomore is considered to be the most heavily peated single malt whiskey in the world. Uh, so that one really is kind of truly like chewing on a campfire. Uh, the distillery itself moved to full production in 2013, one year after being purchased by uh, Remy. Is it Cointreau? Remy Cointreau? Um, yeah. All barley used is exclusively Scottish. Some of which has been grown on Islay since 2004. The provenance of the barley used is extremely important philosophically, uh, and this increasingly reflects the marketing and presentation of the product range. Uh, individually Individual farms, farmers, and even the fields in which the grain is grown are identified on the packaging where possible. Fun fact, and this is where we'll get into the tasting, uh, Classic Laddie is a non-age stated, and Dan actually uh, told me this, but by the UPC, if you have a bottle at home, by the UPC or on the front of the bottle, there is a uh, five-digit code. Mine is, it's two digits, a, uh, a slash, and then three digits. So mine is one it's, four. Uh, mine,
1: mine is laser coded on.
0: Yours is laser coded on? Yeah, yeah, so right mine, there. Is, mine is right here up front. Yeah. So you can actually go to the, uh, you can actually go to their website, type in that code, and it will tell you everything about that particular batch. Um, so that's kind of interesting. I didn't know. Uh, Dan kind of Dan showed me that one. I didn't know you could do that. Um, so I looked mine up yeah. a little bit earlier. Mine was, uh, mine was a blend of sixty-seven casks uh, from four. Four different, uh, four different barrel styles, and two different malt styles. Yeah, so it's it interesting to see what what it was made up of.
2: And I, and one of the things that I, you know, I'm not an expert in scotch, so I got to clarify that. I just really like drinking it. Most of my research <laughs> comes at the end of the night after drinking, and I get curious about the stuff. So uh, my memory might be a bit foggy. But um, like one of the things that I, you know, as you look through what makes up each Brooke Lottie, or however you want to pronounce it, um, you see a lot of, like, there's a ton of different barrel types, and, and, I, and I'm i not going to try to uh, attempt the name of the new owners that took over in the 2000, but I know they have a wine background, and that's where a lot of the terroir that Jeff talk, talked about, they brought that into the distillery, um, so you see a lot more wine finished barrels going into their bottles, so I'm just going through mine, and I see a lot of, you know, there's bourbon, there's sherry, there's all those other ones that you typically see, but lot of wine bottles are, you know, there's Cabernet Sauvignon barrel and, you know, a red burgundy barrel. So it's, that's I found that like extremely interesting that they brought their approach to wine into distilling whiskey and how can they, you know, make that, combine the two to create such a a wonderful uh, spirit and, you know, cheers. I think they've done a good job.
0: It'll, uh, it'll be interesting to see when we get to uh, actually nosing and tasting how much of that uh, if or if any of that, uh, if that wine actually comes out. Um, Jeff, why don't you walk us through your process? So I already poured my glass, um, okay. but why don't you walk us through your process? Uh, and again, folks, if you guys have this at home, uh, this is the Brook Laddie Scottish Barley or the Classic Laddie. It's that beautiful aqua green uh, color. Um, I don't know, I can't remember off the top of my head what I bought this for. I want to say it was between that like 50 and 60 maybe 70 dollar range somewhere around there which for most
1: retail on that is supposed to be about 56
0: okay so it was right it was somewhere in somewhere in that area this was about a year ago that i ended up picking up this bottle um i i don't sip on scotch very often uh so this is going to be a uh this is going to be a treat tonight to be here with you guys and and especially with uh with with jeff to kind of walk us through what what we can expect (laughs) the panel place
2: you can get it i know a place you can get it for 45 but
0: oh (laughs) (laughs) that'll be our little secret
1: yeah the case of equipment so (laughs) um before we get started i want to add a little bit more uh trivia to this not a lot but uh you know one of the things with scotch is legally you can add caramel coloring to it and this is natural colored it's also non-chill filtered, which is a big deal to a lot of people right now. Um, but one of the more interesting things about this is this is 50% alcohol, Um, so 50 ABV. That is very high for a scotch. Um, a lot of scotches come in at 40, 42, 46. Um, to have them come up at 50 and not be cask strength is – it's not rare, but it's unusual. Um, so when you consider that you're spending 56 bucks on this to get, for us, a 100-proof scotch, that's a hell of a deal.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: And but, again, only uh, Jeff,
2: Jeff, I had a, a question. I don't know if you know, but I had heard this, and I don't know it to be true. Um, but I heard that they it comes off their stills at about 68 ABB. And they go directly into the barrel without cutting it at all. Because the, what I heard is they said they, they, they age spirits, not water. I don't know if that's just a, a rumor or if that's something that's true. I don't know um, of many whiskey blaze, or distilleries that would not add something. I'm sure the accountants wouldn't appreciate that. But
1: I find it difficult to believe that they're not proofing it down. And the reason that I say that is this is 100 proof. And yeah. you would have to be extraordinarily lucky to have this come out of the barrel unplanned yeah, no. at a hundred proof every time.
2: No, I mean, so, yeah, they, they proof it down after, but they, they put it into the barrel before ages. So the new mate goes into the barrels uncut.
1: Oh, that's not overly unusual, especially when okay. you consider that Scotch ages differently than say yeah. bourbon or rye um, bourbon or rye typically, the longer it ages, the more it increases in proof. Scotch is the opposite because yeah. of their climate. Um, the longer it ages, it tends to drop in proof. Um, so, yeah, that, that part wouldn't surprise me in the
0: least. Okay. See? Not Good, question. Yeah. <laughs> Good question. Good <laughs> question. Just, just so, a guy that likes to drink scotch. Uh, that's right. Cheers. Uh, I see my buddy, uh, it comes up as Facebook user on the screen. Uh, I've got Hi, my my wife, user. my wife behind here. That's our buddy Brandon Morris. Um, so hello, Brandon. Uh, it was uh, we actually got to meet Brandon uh, last, not this past weekend, the weekend prior, uh, up at uh, up at Journeyman. Um, he came on to a uh, to us a, a little virtual pub that we did, uh, and we just he just kept coming back and kept coming back, and now we're all uh, we're all like one big we're all one big happy whiskey family. So hello, awesome. Brandon. Um, so he says it's non-peated, so no smoke flavor. Uh, we'll get into it in a minute. It, there's still, it's, it's kind hard of to, hard to explain, you know, with, with this one that there's no smoke flavor. Because even even with smelling it, you can still kind of get a little bit, it's like that, I, I think it's just that quintessential scotch kind of flavor that just, regardless of whether or not you use, you know, you, you, you dry the barley with, with smoked peat, I, f- I feel like it still, you know, comes, you know, comes through a little bit of, you know, ashy or smoky flavor. So, let's, uh, without further ado, unless yeah. anybody has anything else to add. And what's keep in mind
2: they they run the spirit they it, they run Octomore and, and Port Charlotte through the exact same wash mash tons, exact same washbacks, exact same stills. So they can clean it all they want. There might just be a little bit left over. Some of that, uh it's not all steel. Some of it's wood
1: well and it's in the air too so i mean it, yeah. it, it it's bound to happen but but the it's all the uh, germinating process of the barley and to do that you have to heat it in various ways and they choose with uh with to not use peat moss to dry that peat moss is what burning the peat moss is what gives the smoky ashy flavor but again, as you've pointed out, it's still in the air because it's still coming out of the same distillery. Mm, yep. So some of it is bound to come into uh, to come into the, if not the new make, then at least the barrels.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to sipping on this one. So Jeff, walk us through your your uh, what is it for your four steps. Of, uh, so uh, the
1: thir- first thing I like to do is some people consider this a, uh, a trivial thing. Some people give it some credence, but I like to look at the rim and uh, the legs that the scotch leaves on the glass. And it's kind of hard to see in here, but I would describe this as a medium thick rim, uh, rim um, which tends to uh, tends to lead to more water content in there. So they may have proofed this down uh, quite a bit from where it was, uh, it's got thicker legs as well, but this is going to uh, suggest that there's quite a bit of body to it also. Um, the, you know, you want to take a look at the color, admire the color, this is a, uh, a honey color, um, it's not what I would consider an amber like you get in a lot of bourbons or ryes, uh, it's much lighter, but again, it's naturally colored though, And to have something naturally colored like this, scotches that are not artificially colored tend to be a lot lighter than this. Um, But again, they're using a whole bunch of different barrels uh, that, and some are gonna be first fill, second fill, third fill. And that's going to give all sorts of different uh, color to the whiskey itself. Um, But I like to go through three different nosing areas. To pick up the various flavors, and what I like to do is I like to start off at chin level, and if you open your mouth and inhale through your nose, you should be able to pick up uh, various flavors or various uh, smells in this. And for instance, I'm picking up a lot of floral notes, a lot of citrus, and uh, you're you're sniffing by your ear, so that's good. Well, uh, Dino,
0: is, Dino always do you jokes around she's like what is it what does it sound like but somebody someone just said it's the color of Mike's beard. So yeah, there we go.
1: sounds like the ocean. It must be from Island. Yeah. yeah. Um, and drink out of a conch shell. Then then I like to bring it to lip level and again repeat the process getting a lot more honey um over here.
0: Yeah, a lot more honey. And
1: then and then I like to bring it up to just under my nostrils. I don't stick my nose in the glass, but like to bring it up just under my nostrils. And again, mouth open, do the inhaling. I'm getting a lot of chocolate at that point. And again, this can all differ batch to batch to batch because all these batches are different. But I'm getting a lot of I'm getting a lot of uh milk chocolate off of this which is very pleasant to me.
0: I get uh like a uh almost like a dried like a dried fruit almost like yeah. a dried orange or like a dried apricot or something like that.
1: Yeah. There's definitely citrus little. in it. I get You're yeah, getting a, a, lot a lot
0: of citrus on this one.
2: But when at at the nose I get more of the uh, the ocean the, the sea salt.
0: Yeah, the that's right
1: but
2: do you, you get see that how, or there. you
1: you smell how there's yeah. th- actually three different zones yeah. here in front of your face and it makes yeah. a huge difference i got a little so the down by way, the
2: chin what's
1: that yeah, yeah. the last down by the chin i got more is, of the honey yeah i get i get a lot of honey more closer to the mouth but again that could be yeah. just the batch difference the last thing i like to do is hold it up to my lips and inhale through my mouth instead of my nose, because you're still smelling this time through your mouth. And you can pick up other flavors that you weren't picking up before. For me in this batch, it picks up a lot of iodine and seaweed, mm-hmm. which is very, very common in an Islay um, whiskey and a lot of Highland whiskies that are uh, Oceanside distilleries.
0: I would, yeah i yeah you said iodine i would i i get like a little a little hint of that
1: yeah it would be very unusual not to pick up either or both iodine and seaweed in any isla scotch it, it would it would be it would be an exception to the rule
0: so now that we've smelled it with with I know, like with with bourbon, I like to let mine sit a little bit. I like to let it air out a little bit. Um, I'll usually try it right away just to see what it's you know what that punch is going to be like. But then I like to let it sit for a couple minutes and then visit it again, and then let it sit for a couple more minutes. With something like scotch, would you still use that same method, or is it because it's so much more kind of floral and softer? Would you say no? Let's just go just go for it.
1: I uh, do everything, letting it rest at least ten to fifteen minutes before I put br- before I bring it to my mouth to taste. I'll enjoy the smell in the room. Um, you know, some of these uh, whiskeys are a lot more fragrant than others, and it's amazing if you're patient. The things you can just pick up in the air with the glass two feet away from your face.
0: Yeah, I have noticed that, and I have a f- I have. Two fans going in this right now because it's it gets so hot in here. Sure. I'm sure everything is just getting blown away. So I have to dig a little bit deeper to to, to pick it up. But normally you're right. I'll be I'll have it on my bedside table or I'll have it on the, the table next to the couch and Dina will be able to smell, it, especially if it's something like a lagovulin or an Ardbag bag oh, yeah. or an octimore. You know, it just kind of fumigates the whole room. Um, even, yeah. by, you know, even some, some bourbons, you know, some sherry cask finish, Madeira cask finish um, bourbons, you know, you can, you kind of get some of that, that sweeter, uh, some of those sweeter cherry notes that'll, that'll come out. Scotch, I don't, I, I don't, uh, this one, I don't, I don't know, I would be able to pick up from afar as easily as I would uh, its, uh, its older, uh, its older brother, Octomore.
1: No, this would be more, uh, if anything that you're going to pick up, it's going to be floral notes.
0: Yeah.
1: It'll smell almost like a a nice version of a room for, room freshener. Mm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I want to dive. I want to dive into this.
1: So let's go in it, and I mean scotch, same thing as bourbon, same thing as rye. You want to do that Kentucky Chew? Get it all in your mouth first. Don't worry about what it tastes like the first time it's going to be palate shock the flavors that you're going to want to look for are after the first sip
0: yeah you know for being this is this one's interesting because i drink a lot of and dan knows this i drink a lot of high proof bourbon um so my palate you know the science there is very interesting as as to why your tongue burns uh but we'll get into that at at another time i think we actually might have already talked about that at some point in one of these episodes but your tongue kind of gets used to that, that burn of the higher proof, uh, bourbons. This one, yeah. you know, for, for being 50%, it is a, it, you know, it's, it's much higher proof than, than most scotch, uh, that I've tried, or at least that I've been aware of. I have had some bottled and bond bourbon that does not burn or give me that heat or that, that tickly tongue quite like this does, which is kind of, kind of interesting
1: It is, but I mean, if you go to something like a Knob Creek 120, I can't tell you how many of those do not drink like 120 proof at all.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: So one of the things that uh, I notice out of this is this has a very thick, heavy mouthfeel. Yes. Unlike, again, a lot of scotch can be very light and airy, and this is this is light and airy but also creamy and uh and it's got some weight to it as well and it's a really you think that these are opposite descriptions but they kind of blend in together
0: dan what do you think about this one
1: i I mean
2: i i i agree when you if you're i mean you're looking at a non-peated isla whiskey so you you still got all the elements of isla there it's still aged on the island it's still takes on all those components. It's aged by the sea, it's beaten by the weather. If you're trying to compare this to like a light and fruity Highlands malt, it, it's gonna be completely opposite. The mouthfeel is hundred percent different. The experience is different. It's just, uh, it's, it's a, it, I think it's a gorgeous whiskey and it's a great way for people to get introduced to Isla. Um, I, I was there, my, I, I personally started out as not liking peated whiskeys at all. Um, mm-hmm. I hated them, hated them, hated them. Gunahav um, uh, and 12 actually got me introduced to Isla, another non-peated or lightly peated Isla whiskey. Um, and friends of mine told me to keep trying, keep trying, and I did, and now I love them. Um, but, you know, there's something about this that just, it just, it screams Isla. Even though the peat's not there, people will drink this who don't know anything about it and say, oh, there's peat there. There's peat in that. I get it. I mean, and, and I just think it's the elements of the island that go into An isla whiskey that that's part of the that's part of the experience. So anyone who's had a highly peated whiskey tastes a lot of the same flavors. If you have an Ardbeg 10, it's very similar and it's very fruity and very citrusy and very floral, but there's peat there that you got to get through. Once you get through the peat, you're drinking a pretty similar, different but
1: similar flavor profile. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, there's only so much you can, you know, we're drinking single bolts. So uh, there's only so much you can do with the barley. Everything winds up being, uh, you know, if you're not, if you're having it unpeated, what's coming out of the cask? And you're going to have so much influence out of the air around you and Mm -hmm. from the wood itself. And, you know, with scotch, most of it is aged in used cooperage um, Mm -hmm. versus bourbon and American rye, which is always new
2: yeah and i i believe again one of my late night research Brooklotti lottie is currently at at the time which was about a three-year-old piece of information i had had about 200 different types of wood casks in their warehouses so i mean they've they've got everything i mean everything under the sun from wood they've they've they're using it and putting it into the, the the mastery behind the scenes to make their their their, uh, their expressions is just goes to show you how difficult it is to be a blender and how expert they are at it. so
1: well, and again, you know it's I, I, I may have said this in our previous episode that we did. Um, you know one thing I love when I do blind tastings is to have somebody come up to me and say all I drink is single malt <laughs> and you you are automatically a target because <laughs> at the end of that night, you are going to have a much different opinion than when you came in with. Making a single malt is, uh, uh, when I say it's easy, it's not any schmuck can come up and, you know, distill and have something come out. You need to know what you're doing. But making a single malt is easy. The art form is blending. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: And in, in, in the case of my batch here, this is 47 different barrels that they've got going. And you know to blend that and to come up with something, a that's palatable, um, and b that turns out right, you got to know what you're doing. Yeah, they're they're not just tossing these together and say let's see what happens. And you know now I'm sure that does happen with some people, but not with the
0: pros. Yeah,
2: well I have 86
0: casks in mine. Yeah, see mine is I think mine is 67. In mind but it's interesting because you know with with bourbon you, you've got something like we'll, we'll use bookers for example which is you know the, yeah. the small batch but there could be as many as you know two three 350 400 barrels in in, in a batch which after yep. talking to all these people doing this you 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 find is actually a lot easier to create a single flavor profile rather than using you know something like maybe starlight distillery down in, in indiana which might only use four five or six barrels but when you add in there for the scotch distilleries all of the different cooperages and all of the different barrels that they're getting you have this additional variable so yeah there might be 67 barrels but 40 of the, or you know 20 of those might be wine barrels 10 of them might be uh bourbon barrels some of them might be this or that or the other so you've got all these different variables and to to blend this to any kind of consistency is is mastery to say the least
1: yeah, and I don't even know that they go for consistency, although it's interesting that we've come up with similar notes. Um, you know, and I'm willing yeah. to bet that we're drinking from three different batches.
0: Yeah, I know Mike and I have different batches. Yeah, I, yeah, Dan and I have different batches.
1: I,
2: mine's 2015.
0: Mine
1: was 14. Mine is a 14 oh. also. Uh, my batch is a uh, 14009. 0, 0,
0: mine is 14167 okay i so probably
1: are- have the oldest one this is january 25th of 2014
0: yeah mine is june june 19th of 14
2: yeah mine's 1502 i need my readers
1: so yours is um. yours is one of the first uh, <laughs> need- matches out of yeah. 2015 <laughs>
0: Now, that, now I got I... my reader,
2: so I got the first two. that's it
0: <laughs> now that I let this sit for a little bit, I'm getting uh like uh like an apple or a uh like a like a red apple almost
1: yeah, let's talk about what we're doing, so I mean up front for me at the front of the pallet with this one, I'm getting strange as this may seem uh both wet and dry oak, which uh isn't overly common um but uh you know the dry oak is a little spicier and the wet oak is musky is not the right word but it's something along that line um towards the middle on mine sweet fruit uh and uh you know in particular apples and grapes Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm and then in the back I'm getting honey and then a lot of nut. So cashews, mm-hmm. almonds, pecans. Um, that's what's coming up in mind and I'm not even hitting the finish here yet. What are you guys getting?
0: The the you said cashew is interesting because I if if I if I think about chewing on a cashew I get a little bit of that like that soft butteriness that, that you would typically mm-hmm. get from a cashew, um, but it's it's like it's like right it's like right back here.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, pretty so. I don't get the uh, I don't get the wet oak. I get maybe a little bit of the dry oak, a little bit of spices. Um, I, I get some apple. I don't get grape, but you know I'm probably. That might come from, um, I might not have as many wine cast, white wine cask finishes as in yours. That might be where the grape's coming from, but sure. Um, yeah. I and, I and Mike describes the chewing it I get, I can, I can see the cashew. Um, I don't necessarily wouldn't know if I'd relate it to that, but um, I get that. I, yeah. It's definitely just, it has a definite evolution of uh, flavors that it's going through across your palate. Do you
1: guys get cinnamon? Well, and keep in mind, some of this is, some of this is a, uh, is subliminal suggestion.
2: Yeah.
1: So right.
2: I don't I don't get cinnamon. I get
1: I get maybe more of a white pepper. So okay. Yeah.
2: See and I'm getting see a white
1: pepper is. on the finish. Yeah. So it's interesting you mentioned the pepper though. Um, I'm getting a white white pepper on the finish. I'm getting honey. Um, the one thing that I'm getting that a lot of people don't like, I don't mind it. Is that astringent uh, flavor? Uh, some people will call it like chewing on band aids. Um, yeah. It's yeah. not very strong, but it's there.
0: It's real faint in the background, and it's actually interesting. You mentioned that because there's a there's a science behind that behind why a lot of people actually will will taste band aids when they when they drink scotch. Um, it's very similar to the way that some people like cilantro and some people don't like cilantro to some people. It tastes like mm-hmm. soap. Um, it's actually a gene that gets turned on uh, that that makes basically makes cilantro taste like soap. Um, but I also read that it's very, it's a very similar thing when it comes to scotch and band-aids. It's just that that's just you, the, the gene that you have that kind of makes it makes it that way. And I, I get that a little Real faints, way way on. Yeah, no,
1: it's it's small. Yeah, it's small, but I mean, it's it's also a taste that's like peat. It's something that you have to grow accustomed to and appreciate. Um, You know, at first it turns off people, and peat tends to turn off people. Yeah. But as they slowly work their way into it, it becomes more palatable, and suddenly you're craving it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear what everybody out there on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, we've got the Silver Lock Whiskey Club. I know we got Brandon here with us uh, and, a, and a few other people. I'm curious if, if you guys were able to pick up a bottle of the Classic Laddie uh, or what you guys are sipping on tonight. Uh, feel free to comment. Uh, I'm sure one of the three of us have, uh, have been able to experience uh, the same thing you guys are, are drinking tonight. Um, we missed it, but
2: I saw the Silverlock Whiskey Club. It said they were drinking a, an Indian whiskey, I believe. I forgot which one it was.
0: But. Yeah, so here, I'll put that one back on. So, Silverlock Whiskey Club, the Rampur double cask.
1: I've not had that. Um, there are some excellent, excellent Indian single malts. Very amazing. And part of that is due. To the extreme heat that they have down there. Mm -hmm. Uh, In a lot of the areas where the distillation is happening, average temperature is 98 degrees. Mm -hmm. And um, interesting thing about, not to get too sidetracked here, interesting thing about Indian distilleries is they're pretty new to understanding distilling, um, particularly aging. And they used to, not so many years ago, wind up finding a lot of bodies in the rickhouses because they didn't understand that all the alcohol vapor is in the air and because it's so hot there all the time, so permeative in the air that people will asphy- asphyxiate themselves um, and they would keel over and die because there's no oxygen to breathe. They're just breathing alcohol vapor. And they'd come out and they'd find these bodies in there. Well, now they know to, va- to ventilate. Huh. Um, but they didn't before. And we're not talking about a whole long time ago either.
0: Right.
2: That's <laughs> a, a difficult lesson to learn, but a great way to go, I guess.
1: It is. And I mean, stuff <laughs> there ages so fast. It, you know, in five years, that's probably equivalent to a dozen or more in an american distillery um just because of the heat that's involved yeah yeah
2: and it's interesting because i mean you talked earlier about it how american whiskeys as they age they increase and improve as scotch single malts age they decrease there you've got a single malt that's probably increasing in abv as it's aging so it's kind of like you're getting both. absolutely so yeah they've, i've had some ob- absolutely and- it- Paul
1: John, that's just phenomenal stuff. So Amrut is uh, makes some fantastic stuff, and so does Paul John. And uh, you know, there's Indian whiskey is like Canadian whiskey; it's unregulated, so you have a lot of uh, things that's not really whiskey, more closer to rum in a lot of things, uh, mm. or more closer to something else entirely. But the the big distillers out there that are legitimate's not a good word, but I think it gets the point across. They know what they're doing. They're doing this in a Scotch tradition and uh, you know, they're making it right and they're figuring out, you know, not to overage things and pull it when it's ready.
0: Silverlock Whiskey Club mentioned that the angel share in India is between ten and twelve percent, which is huge. Um, but it's because I buy that in a second. Yeah, I I and you know, knowing what the average temperature is, you know, there, that's uh that's absolutely believable. I'm curious, I've because I've never had a an Indian whiskey <clears throat> in comparison to a scotch, which is what I would assume is the closest relatable thing to it. What are the biggest differences that that you guys and maybe Silverlock Whiskey Club, maybe you can chime in on this as well um because I've never had an Indian whiskey I don't know about you Dan I know I'm sure Jeff you have what's I mean what's the biggest what, what are we what are we looking what are we looking at
1: um, an Indian whiskey to me a a an Indian single malt a good one is going to be a lot closer to a bourbon than it will be to a scotch really even though the grains are different you're getting a lot of caramel uh, yeah. out of it um you're getting a lot of uh, uh there there is some smokiness even if it's not peated um that comes out of the wood but you you're getting some bold flavors and uh you know they have some like Paul John has a uh, peated a couple of peated uh versions of their whiskey and they can do that but to me an indian whiskey is a bourbon drinker scotch if that makes any sense
2: okay yeah I'd agree. I think you're going to, I mean, with the heat, you get so much more wood, wood interaction. So it depends on the barrels they use, too. If they're using ex-bourbon, I mean, you're going to get all that bourbon flavor as well. So mm-hmm. it, it's, and yeah, I have, I have a few mics, so you can try one. <laughs> uh,
0: so Mark, uh, Mark Augustine, uh, good friend, and uh, actually a long time, one of our founding members of the Fox Valley Whiskey Society, uh, and uh, usually watches every Wednesday with us. Uh, hello, Mark. Uh, thanks for tuning in again. Um, he says, uh, to my understanding, the owners of Brook Laddie also own Westland. Do you think this relationship is helping Westland and their development of the American single malt whiskey category? Uh,
1: I'm going to claim in, uh, I'm going to claim ignorance on this. I, I do don't do. know that it's the same owner. Uh, if it is, I would say it makes sense because it's to their benefit to share knowledge, but I have no idea if it's the same owners or not.
2: Yeah. I'm not sure either. And I do know Westland is, is really one of the driving forces right now with a couple other major distilleries trying to create laws and guidelines as to what the category actually is and give it some definition, but. Um, yeah, right now, American single malt is, has very little to, to make it, a very little rules to play by. So uh, Now, I will tell you
1: this much. Westland makes the best American peated malt I've ever had.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Very I don't good. know that I've ever You're had anything wrong. from Westland. Uh, Silver, Whiskey, uh, Silver Lack Whiskey Club, yes, uh, Westland and Brew are owned by the same owners. And that's it. You know, it's, it's interesting to kind of see where, you know, we – in 1964 was when bourbon was kind of you know given its given its proper definition it's going to be curious to see as we kind of go on with you know these craft distillers and these smaller distilleries micro distilleries creating this american single malt category and kind of really defining what it is to see what happens with with that you know in 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 the coming in the coming decade or so um it's something that's it's it's growing. We're starting to see a little bit more of it. I actually think I have I, I, I believe I picked up a single mall from Journeyman uh this, this past mm-hmm. weekend, um, which is very, very good. Um but let's go back to the let's go back to the the Brook Laddie. What uh did, did we did we talk about the the finish? Did we get into the finish? Because I already poured any- myself a second glass.
1: <laughs> we, we we touched on it briefly. Um, I had explained that my batch is uh, white pepper and honey, and then it's got that Band-Aid uh, astringent fl- uh, quality to it. But one thing I want to see if your batch is the same as mine, every time I take a sip of this, it's slightly different.
0: Yes, slightly. It almost... Yeah. It almost gets more, uh, I don't want to say, I think viscous is the wrong word, but it has like, it, it, it almost has that very, like very full mouth feel, but it gets sweeter. I get, each sip I take is more, I get more and more honey.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. It almost feels, it almost feels like you're sipping on like a honey water, almost.
2: Yeah, I, I added a couple of drops of water to mine, and I prefer it neat as opposed to with water, but I, it does change it quite a bit. I, I got a lot more sweetness with the water. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I'm going back to
1: without water. <laughs> oh, I mean, this is, there's, there's not too many whiskeys that I try that evolve with every sip. You know, in the beginning, you kind of expect that once you get past palate shock, but from that point on, it gets pretty consistent, sip after sip after sip. This is changing every – I'm on one pour here, and I'd probably sip this six times, and I'm tasting six different things.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Go back and re-nose it and tell me if it tastes different or smells different. Because maybe it's just because it's my second glass. And it doesn't have water in it but it's i'm getting a different different experience on the nose
1: i'm not but that could be your batch
2: yeah don't have as much i don't have as much floral and citrus on it but
0: if anybody uh if anybody watching right now is is sampling along with us i'd love to hear what uh, what you guys think of this one what you guys are picking up um yeah, the the nose. I mean, I this is this is now going on my my third pour. I drink fast. I think I drink faster than you guys. Uh,
2: <laughs> but it, you're used to cask strength, so this is only fifty abb. You're good,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. See, I get like red apple. It like like red apple and honey. Yeah. On the nose, this is this is one of those. I think this is a, a good scotch to get people that maybe didn't know if they would like it uh you know maybe have remember trying something in their grandfather's basement when they were you know when they were kids or or sipping on something (laughs) you know at a you know at a wedding years and years ago and that that you didn't like i think this would be kind of a good transition because of how how fruity and how floral it is i think this would be a really really good segue into you know going from bourbon or rye into uh into Scotch. Actually, this would be a better segue from going from rye to Scotch because I get that fruitiness, that that pepper on the back. Um, this is a really good, uh, really good transition. And Doug- yeah, and Doug- I
1: would Doug- I would agree with that assessment. Um, this this could be a very good introduction for especially a rye drinker. Yeah into scotch because there's a lot of similar qualities here. The floral notes, the spice notes, as you mentioned. Um, But, uh, you know, it's also, it it also is bold and it's not, this is not an 80 proof, it's not an 80 proof scotch. This is a hundred proof scotch, which is going to be more in line of what the average rye is, um, you know, hitting into the nineties, and hundreds um, this is going to be closer like that i think you've made a very good point with that
0: it's just that every time you you you, you bring the glass up and the first thing i think of is the is like a written house almost like a written house right or a uh, like a pinhook a pinhook would be a good example I just get that that fruity floral, not yeah. You don't. It it doesn't
2: have a bourbon nose at all.
0: No, 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 no. no.
1: Yeah, this no, one... but a bourbon drinker would appreciate the proof.
2: Yeah, all and fruit. I think yeah, I think you know there there. There's probably you can. It's very light, but there's caramel, a little bit of vanilla in it as well. So I think a bourbon a drinker would catch latch on to those flavor profiles, but they are hidden behind. You know, the, the florals and the citrus and some of the other elements.
1: And I mean, the fact that this is, granted, there are peated bourbons out there. It, I'm not familiar if there's peated ryes. I'm sure there are. Um, but there's no peat in this. So, again, it's bold enough to where this can attract an American whiskey drinker
0: mm-hmm. without
1: turning them off of the things that typically uh, scotch would turn somebody off on.
0: Yeah. Also, if you guys, uh, it, you know, uh, Mark, Brandon, Silverlock, Whiskey Club, um, you know, anybody else who's watching out there, we've got a, we've got quite a few viewers tonight going on. Um, what would, what would you guys recommend for maybe like a good transition from bourbon into scotch or from Ryan to scotch? Uh, this one for, you know, 55, $60 is a. It's a great purchase. I actually one of the one of the reviews that I was reading. I think it said this is this is perfect for sitting down with with family at a campfire, or perfect for sitting down with family around a around the dinner table. Um, and I agree because it's it's very well balanced. It's super mild. It doesn't kind of punch you in the gut like a lot of those a lot of those uh, peated scotch as well. So this mm-hmm. is uh this is an interesting one, but I'd be curious to hear what you guys out there. We've got uh got about ten minutes left. We're gonna call it we're gonna call a hard finish at eight uh eight PM. Uh Jeff has a long drive tomorrow, which hopefully you make I hope you make safe. We'll be we'll be thinking about you. Um but I'm curious as to uh the listeners out there uh, and the viewers out there, what you guys would uh, would recommend or what you guys are sipping on tonight. That uh, there might be a good transition from from bourbon into scotch. Dan, what what uh, what would you say? You've got a pretty vast. You
2: know, population. i I've always heard, and I would probably agree, a Glenfiddich 14 is a really good bourbon drinker's scotch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it, it's it's a, it's a nice, easy drink. Glenfiddich is a, a really good distillery. Um, it's got some of those typical notes you would find. It's with the bourbon with a uh, with, you know, some barrel influence and some caramel and vanillas in there. Um, that's one that I have on my shelf that I always like to pull out when people are, you know, bourbon drinkers that want to try a scotch and they, they seem to accept that I would, you know, it's 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 easier to stay in the mainland. I mean, Brook Lottie's is a phenomenal whiskey. I love Punahab and 12, but sometimes those Isla whiskies, even the non peated ones are a little bit different in flavor profile than a bourbon mm-hmm. would, drinker would uh, so you know anything in the Highland space sides is, is usually a good good option to go to, but Glenfiddich 14 is is one I've often recommended to people.
1: Strange as this is going to sound, um, generally when I've got a bourbon drinker who's new to Scotch, I like to send them to Lowland, uh, mm-hmm. um, something like that, because you get granted it's still uh, malted barley, but you get some of the vanillas and caramels are a little heavier yeah. there. You get some fruitiness uh, in there and it's not a bourbon per se, but it appeals to a lot of bourbon drinkers.
2: Yeah. It's such a, such a forgotten Scotch region. Was there like two or three distilleries left down in the lowlands?
1: Uh, I think there's more than that. Um, especially if you consider uh Glen Goyne, which is right on the border. Um, okay. the, the the distillery itself is Highland. The Rick House is Lowland. They're that far, or yeah. they're, they're that close to the border. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there's not a whole lot of Lowland distilleries. But the what the whiskeys have to offer is a lot of what bourbon drinkers seek, particularly weeded bourbons. Oh, okay.
0: I would, uh, I, I would say almost, and this was one that, that kind of actually got me into, into scotch, would be uh, the Balvini, um, uh, specifically the yeah. Caribbean cask. Uh, That's that my one,
1: favorite I expression have, of theirs.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that one, which I actually have behind me. It keeps going up and up and up and up in price, and I'm like, oh, yeah. It's a really good one. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, the Balvini is, is, is it, I think it's 14-year. Fourteen years old. Caribbean cask, uh, finished in finished in rum casks. Uh, that's excellent, that was, that's excellent, a, a, excellent whiskey. Great transition and a and a, and a great whiskey, just in yeah. general. Um, and was, I think uh,
1: that's what about a seventy dollar bottle right now. It.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it for about seventy in most places. Some places I've seen it as high as almost a hundred dollars a bottle, and I just kind of walk right by it if I see it on the shelf. Like I, I would
1: not pay a hundred for that, but I'd pay so, seventy yeah, for it all I'd pay day long. 70
0: all day um silverlock whiskey club uh glen Morangi 10 or quinta ruban uh are good scotches to try glen Mar- glen is yeah it's another one uh the Astar, uh, glen marangi a star is a beautiful beautiful whiskey that that is a really really good transition into into bourbon or from bourbon even into into scotch just very light very floral and fruity and uh you know kind of hits all the you know hits all the notes
1: and, and I would say with that the uh,
2: my, go ahead. My fun fact: the Kinta, the Quinta Rubin is my first Scotch I ever bought.
1: So, back <laughs> and here. I was going to say I would think that the Quinta Rubin, the older version, is closer to a bourbon drinker's Scotch than the
0: newer. That one, I don't think I'm that one. I haven't had, uh, Mark Mark Augustine. Uh, I really enjoyed the limited edition New Riff, New Riff backsetter. Which is a peated bourbon and rye. Uh, it was met with mixed reviews, but I thought the rye one was great. Um, Mark, a couple. Well, actually, Dan, you were there. <laughs> we uh, we tried the back setter bourbon. Uh, I don't know if it was the bourbon and the rye. I think we tried the the, the bourbon um, at a bottle. Had a, them both. Was it both? Yeah, we had both. Uh, I didn't. Or I was seeing double. There could be. Yeah, we had a, we had a, lot, to, we had a lot to pass. <laughs> We had a lot to pass around. Um, yeah, I we we had the pita, the the bourbon, and and the rye. The um, I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't really care for. Not that they were bad, I just didn't care for either one of them. To me, I think it's more of a novelty than it is something that somebody's going to seek out on the shelf and buy over and over again. Um, yeah. You know, I think it's just one of those. Oh, we wanted to try doing, you know, try doing this to see if it works um but it was it was it was definitely good it was definitely very very interesting um to uh to try what a bourbon and a rye would taste like with peat and i've never
1: had a peated rye before i've had peated bourbons to me they're very interesting um but bourbons in their own right can be smoky without the peat so again i'm with you that's more of a novelty Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't want to say that mm-hmm. to insult anybody who just loves the stuff. Right. <laughs> I enjoy it, but yeah. I can't see myself. If it was there, I would order it just because it's different, mm-hmm. but I can't see myself seeking out, uh, oh my gosh, I've got to have a peated bourbon.
0: Right. It was, uh, it was, it was definitely fun to drink. It was, it was really awesome to try it. It was certainly interesting. It wasn't as and and Mark, I think I think you would agree, it wasn't as as peaty as honestly as I was expecting it to be. I almost it it yeah. you can get it right on right when you right on the front of the palate, but it's mm-hmm. it's not so profound that it's like oh man, this is this is a peated whiskey. It was very faint, but again, it once it hits the palate, it's like oh, I know it's there because you know what you know what you're looking for. I
1: would give it a bar recommendation. So I know we're running out of time here, but uh a good smoked rye, not heated, but smoked, which gives you something kind of sort of similar. Uh don't know if you guys have had Blaum's uh Blaum Brothers uh straight rye, but that's a smoked rye. I don't
0: okay. No, I haven't. Oh I have that's one to definitely
1: rye. try, and in fact, that was my uh that was my 2019 whiskey of the year. Really? Yeah. Hmm.
0: All right. And that's it's a four-year-old,
1: that? and it's it's their standard rye
0: that you can find on the uh, shelf.
1: Yeah, it runs okay. you about fifty bucks, and I, I've just been in love with it. And it, it it's everything I imagined that a peated rye would be, but it's not ashy; it's just smoky.
0: Yeah, that's one that I'll definitely have to. Definitely have to search out. Um, guys, we're at 58 minutes, uh, so I want to thank you both for coming on. Uh, uh, Jeff, I know you have got to to hit the hay early. Uh, Dan will yep. stay on and, and, and chat for a little bit after we after we end the, li- the live stream. Uh, I want to thank everyone who tuned in tonight and watches each week. Uh, don't forget to like this video and subscribe on YouTube. You can also help us expand by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash the glass less traveled and following us on Facebook and Instagram. I am actually working on turning this into a podcast, uh, so that if you can't watch, uh, you can at least listen. So we're, we're definitely working on that and seeing what we can do with that. Um, I will be back next week with the, uh, the lovely miss Avalon Una from Catoctin Creek, uh, in Virginia. Uh, so we will be talking some more craft distilling, uh, with them next Wednesday. Uh, Jeff, anything before we uh anything before we we log off?
1: No, man, I, I love this and uh you know I'm looking forward to our next episode on this, whatever that might wind up being.
2: I think we already lost Mike.
1: Yeah, no, I think no, I Mike the... already
2: logged off <laughs> early. <We> <laughs> <didn't> <laughs> hit I, heard,
1: I the wrong oh. <laughs> I'm Is <thinking laughs> <I'm here. laughs> I, done. Done. I think
0: I <laughs> I logged my I kicked myself out. Uh, (laughs) That's
1: okay. What I was saying is I'm looking forward to our next episode of this. Um, We've agreed to do this uh, about once a month yeah. and uh, you know, whatever that might be. And if somebody has some suggestions, I'm open to pretty much anything.
0: And I think what we're going to do next time around is we're going to get a whiskey novice, uh, somebody from the community uh, to come on with us. Somebody that might not know very much about tasting or nosing or what the palate is like um, something, uh, you know, something a little interesting. So we'll get a whiskey novice to come on with us, uh, somebody either from the group or from the community that watches. So uh, if you guys are interested in that, interested in joining us, if you're a whiskey novice, uh, just comment on here or go to the, go to our Facebook page and let us know. We have a post up, um, Dan, anything before, uh, you and, uh, before we log off, i will chat with you for a little bit after, uh, after we're, after we're gone. No,
2: I just had a lot of fun and uh, thanks for having me on. I'm going to transition now to a little their, uh,
0: little oh, bit yeah, of, nice. little very nice. Some more of the For the, uh, for the rest gonna, of the night, though. I'm going to transition back to bourbon. bourbon. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to transition to bed. Go but, yeah, uh, go to bed, Jeff. You have a long drive tomorrow. Um, but, everybody, uh,
1: thank you so much, and this was a lot of fun. Cheers, everybody.
0: Yeah, cheers, everyone. We'll see you next week. Here.